How would you like to have a clear path cut out for you as an entrepreneur while someone who's already done it before hold your hand and support you along the way? Well, today's guest has already done pretty extraordinary things in his life and now he's dedicating his time to creating a movement that would change the global entrepreneurship landscape forever. Hi, my name is Vindya V. This is Art of the Extraordinary, the podcast for those of you who's ready to play a much bigger game and leave an extraordinary legacy behind. I'm glad you're here and it's time to make your quantum leap. Today, my guest is David Selly, who is the founder and CEO of the International Entrepreneurs Association, which is a global initiative to teach and train entrepreneurs via a network of licensed revenue-sharing executive directors in each country with charity as a focus. David has reinvented himself three times, corporate management for 27 years, real estate investor for 17 years, and entrepreneur for 70 years. Years. David is an author with a Guinness record underway in the publishing arena as the oldest author to publish the most books in one year. And today he joins me to talk more about entrepreneurship and how to be successful at it while learning from the mistakes that others have made. David, why is it important to break through the shackles for an entrepreneur? Very good question. I believe that um, education in its current form has some restrictions on allowing people to break through to, to be themselves. Uh, and let me explain that. Actually, the best way to explain that is to have a, a gentleman by the name of Sir Ken Robinson who explains it beautifully in a very well articulated um, uh, video on YouTube. <clears throat> but he talks about, and I agree with him 100%, that the um, current educational system tends to restrict creativity and um, is somewhat designed for someone to get a job. And of course, you know, the shackles that bind you are not only just in that area, they're also in your home environment, how you're brought up, what kind of role modeling you had, and whether or not you were a free agent or your, your mom and dad wanted you to be, uh, you know, something that they wanted you to be instead of what you wanted to be. And so when you find yourself, um, I think that's a wonderful release actually to your own future where you're absolutely focused on what you are genuinely. And of course, uh, you need to be congruent in all of those things. And you can't have congruency if you're conflicted. So you've got to get your act together in terms of your own personal direction. And that's happened to me three times in my life. So I'm on the final stretch, as you know, and um uh, just for the audience, I'm an 81-year-old kick-butt senior um, on, a, on a proactive mission to really help people uh, avoid some of the pitfalls and bumps in life that I've gone through. And, you know, most people will only learn after they've been kicked in the butt. And um, that's, their, that's their issue. They have to learn themselves. But if I can teach someone to, uh, you know, to actually release themselves to their own future uh, find a dream that's important to them. Find something that will drive them uh, to to achieve and to want want to be better. And it not not necessarily a thing oriented. It can be a, a mental happiness within yourself. So it, it's a multifaceted answer. I'm sorry, but that's just the way I read it. And uh, I think when someone is released <clears throat> inside mentally, uh, emotionally, something kind of builds up. It's like a like the water coming out of a, a you know a thumb hole in the dam, it spurts out because you finally release you you get it, and then you're on your own track and away you go, and uh, subject to your own goals and dreams and how willing you are to work hard to achieve those. So, I've got mm. a very broad answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Well, David, can you tell us a little bit about about yourself and what was your journey like into? of starting off as an entrepreneur, like how, how did you get into it um, just to get our audience up to speed? Sure. Well, uh, I grew up in abject poverty in the war or during the war in England. I grew up in a little thatch cottage with no running water, no heat or no electricity. And uh, we were of course on food rations. It was a single parent home and basically latchkey kids with my brother and sister and so it was survival of the fittest. And so 
I believe those hardships actually help you in later life. Uh, they certainly helped me because I developed a steely resistance to the normal things that will upset people and they get all upset and walk away from their dreams. Well, when they're firmly placed, as mine are, and I was, I was an entrepreneur basically at a very young age. I had my own paper route when I was eight or nine. I had my own stamp collection in school when I was 11. And um, by the time I'm 15, uh, I ran away from home in England. I barely finished high school. I jokingly say that I finished high school with a master's degree in peripheral vision. Um, of course, what that means is that my buddies next to, uh, to my right and to my left um, had great scores, and I learned a lot from, from them vicariously. But uh, being fairly intelligent, I guess I survived. I ran away from home, jumped on a ship in Liverpool, ended up in Montreal, Canada, and made my way to Vancouver, where I became office boy for the phone company. By the time I'm 19, I'm a district manager guy. And I was, uh, frankly, a jerk. But I had eight offices and I think 160 employees. And uh, I was a very, um, I was very mean to a lot of the workers, but I got the numbers. And I didn't really know anything about uh, personal relationships or, you know, really how to treat people. So I had to learn that through the hard way. We immigrated legally to the United States in 1963. And I was in the cosmetic industry for a number of years, all the while uh, developing ideas that I had about entrepreneurship, uh, products, invented products. I did all kinds of interesting stuff, and those are all going to be are in my books that are coming out to, um, to kind of document the journey myself. I've reinvented myself three times. I was basically in corporate life. I had a very um, long stretch in the real estate industry. And for the last uh, 15, 20 years, I've been a very proactive entrepreneur developing different things in the entrepreneurial area, including the Entrepreneur Association, which is currently underway. So that, in broad strokes, is part of the story. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that you touched before was talking about uh, the school system and how it is not really encouraging entrepreneurs because we nurture people to be right all the time and get good grades, right? So I feel like there isn't a lot of space for someone to test and learn and um, learn from, from around you rather than just ticking boxes. Um, so what do you think is required or what is missing for entrepreneurs in that case? Because w there aren't many schools that is nurturing people to become entrepreneurs um, just because of, the, the, of how the system is built. So what kind of education is missing or what kind of system is missing in that case for anyone who wants to follow the entrepreneurial career path? Well, personally, I, as a matter of fact, I'm writing an article about that. It's called The DNA and Heartbeat of an Entrepreneur. It's a, about a 2,000-word piece. I'm going to post that on the LinkedIn site, and it'll be available for anyone that wants to contact me. Um, but to answer your question, I actually believe that, the, that an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, has this going on emotionally the, you know, inside, inside their head. Um, long or part of being the schooling situation. But as it relates to the schooling situation, the education, um, as you correctly said, the educational system is designed to, you know, spit out uh, well-educated um, and hopefully for the corporations that are hiring them, uh, lower cost employees. And then, of course, you have the different levels of education, which are supposed to bring higher, you know, higher income levels, which is basically true. But at the end of the day, um, to answer your question specifically, uh, the, I believe the educational system is missing the components necessary to identify those people, those students who do have, who, who have actually exhibited entrepreneurial capabilities. Um, one of the smartest things I ever did, and I was 47 when I did it, I went through, a, a, at that time it was called the Human Engineering Lab. It was three days of intensive testing, not, not to test my IQ, which I personally have questioned many times, but um, to question your natural, to determine your natural ability patterns. Uh, those were everything from writing skills, not necessarily linguistics and so on, but everything that pertained to a natural ability, whether, whether it was uh, three-dimensional spatial ability or 
um, hearing, whatever, whatever it was, um, that, that testing helped me identify certain characteristics that intuitively I knew I had, but I was never able, never, never able to document them. And I w certainly wasn't able to document them through the schooling system, which, which I attended. I think there's been some improvements on that now, but the, it, the schooling system leans heavily, of course, towards, uh, you know, the commercial field. And to, um, so the, the entrepreneurial characteristics are not really being identified within the schooling system, in my opinion, enough. And even when they are, um, they are, I believe, commercialized to the point where, as an example, if you go online and you look up entrepreneurial training, you'll see several, several websites that are, you know, getting, I think, ridiculous fees for someone to enroll to learn. Uh, and this is somewhat through academia. So you end up having professors who are teaching something they've ever, never actually done. And you can't <laughs> teach something you haven't done, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it would like be like me after being married for 60 years, like I have been, going to a marriage counselor who's been divorced three times. I don't want to know what that person knows. <laughs> I'm not interested, you know? So same thing with entrepreneurship. You, you need to learn from someone who's actually done something specific in the entrepreneurial activity. And I, it's kind of amusing because I, you know, I, I look on some of the posts and I see entrepreneur and then you look, you look closer and you find out that these folks, uh, you know, they've been in management with corporation for years and years and years. Well, either they are not being true to themselves or uh, by, you know, breaking out and cutting loose and doing something it doesn't mean they should quit their job, but it, they could have invented something on the side. They could have, you know, learned how to do you know, that they're developing uh, if they haven't had the courage to do that then they're not really truly entrepreneurs they are you know uh, I guess you'd call uh, what should we say looky-loos <laughs> which is fine <laughs> Well, the reason why I was laughing is because um, I was just thinking about my partner because uh, he actually, he's one of the smartest guys that I know, but he, I think he struggled to school, not because he's not smart, but because he could never like sit in a classroom and be told what to do. And, you know, he never could do that. Um, and then he ended up going, switching degrees because it, it never, it never really resonated. And he ended up doing an entrepreneurship degree or ended up starting one. And then midway through, he again went, you know what? Most of my lectures have never started a business, have never taken the risk that uh -huh. I want to take and have never done a copy or have never done sales themselves. And they're teaching me how to do it. And, and then he was like, well, this is not going to work. And then he ended up going and finding mentors for him, which worked. But yeah, that's what I was laughing before because yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> well, that's very true. And, um, you know, entrepreneurs usually are doers. They, they start things, you know, and then depending on their own disciplines, uh, which are key, by the way. And, and, you know, if you're going to become an entrepreneur, you better be able to face some personal dif dis disciplines. Um, probably some severe modifications in your behavior patterns and activities. And uh, that's been one of my, um, you know, heavy corrections. I, I tend to uh, move around quite a bit in term in, mentally. Um, I usually in the mornings now I, I've got it down that I come in and you know, I, I do focus on certain things specifically for whatever time frame I've allotted. In other words, it's a daily game plan. And um, my wife assures me sometimes that's a little too strict. <laughs> but uh it's okay you know i'm i'm, I'm fine with it mm. well um you touched on this a little bit but uh what does it mean to be an entrepreneur from your point of view from my point of view i absolutely relish every day because every day presents opportunities to either create or look at creating things or actually create things, uh, things meaning ideas, whatever those are. And um, when you're highly creative, I think this goes back, you asked the question earlier, but as a, as a kid, I was always busy making things, uh, making a trolley or a bow and arrow or carving or whittling a stick or doing something creative. Um, 
you know, in those days, we actually made our own Christmas decorations. So that was a creative venture because my sister and I would compete on how to make the best Christmas decorations. Of course, today, that's all prepackaged. But back in the day, um, that was entertaining and creative at the same time. So uh, you don't have that in that area, thank God. But um, so to, to what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? I think is uh, the freedom to, th I have a little saying, it's, it's go, be, do, exclamation mark after every word. Go, be, do. Go where you want to go, be what you want to be, and do what you want to be. And if you're free, if you're free um, emotionally, if you're free, and you cannot be free at all if, you if you're not free economically. So that's the first, and of course that fits right in with free enterprise, which is fine. Um, but once you're free to do those things, or you can work towards them at the same time, People call me all the time and they say, I'm going to quit my job. I said, no, 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 no. don't quit your job. Find something that works, uh, that you like, that you want to do, and whatever it is you're doing in the creative or entrepreneurial area, and then see if you can get a working model working so that it actually is productive and you can measure the productivity and will that meet your needs if you did quit? So you don't want to uh, jump the horse and uh, fall off halfway down the track. You want to make sure you've got something solid. And I can speak to that absolutely accurately positively because i've done that many times myself falling off the horse and um you know, <clears throat> tony robbins uh has a great quote you you cannot have massive success unless you've had massive failure mm. if you if you look at the big boys in, in in the entrepreneur world you know the richard bransons the fred smith the bill gates they have all had massive failure at one time or another and that's often glossed over by the glory stories of success. But the reality is you have to earn your success through trial and error. And then, you know, if you're serving mankind, uh, you'll be blessed if, if that's what you're doing. And I, I really do believe that. Would you say entrepreneurs are born or entrepreneurs are made? I hope I wouldn't be quoted on this, but I think they're actually made. I think because um, the environmental issues that you face can cloud over or keep you captured into the, into conformity. If, if you if you grow up in a very strict formal situation, where you are not allowed to explore and do your thing, then obviously you're going to either be stuck in that for the rest of your life and be unhappy. I mean, it's no accident in my not so humble opinion that the job turnover rate is in excess of almost 60%. Now, why is that? Um, that's because people are thrashing around in a job just to make some money because they need to pay the bills, which is okay. I mean, that's an honorable thing to do. But if they're not happy, and most people quit their jobs either looking to move up, which is like, you know, climbing the ladder on the wrong wall, and uh, eventually to figure out, well, gosh, I've been on the wrong side of the ladder. Uh, and there's several components to that, obviously, but uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy being an entrepreneur, that is for sure. It's, it's tough, but you do have the freedom. Once you cut loose, you have the freedom to you know, express yourself and basically chart your own course, which I think is lovely. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I, I get what you're saying um, in saying that they are created because, yes, you may have certain qualities that is advantageous for you to being an entrepreneur, but if you're still conditioned by the society to be a certain way, then even those qualities would, you know, they would just all be covered and they wouldn't come through. Um, and I guess uh, talking about, you know, the going up the ladder and being in the corporate world or working for somebody else, doing something that you don't love. Um, I guess it, there's a, there's two things in it. One is that, yes, there are a lot of people who's most of the people are actually just doing the job to pay the bills. No, like if, if you go in around asking, Oh, are you passionate about your job? Majority are not. And even of the people who say, yes, I'm passionate about my job. I like my job. 
And if I ask them the question, can you imagine yourself doing this, you know, for the next 10 or maybe till you die? And then they go, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to do this. So that's, again, an indication that maybe it is what, what you're doing, something that is right for you at this point in time, but it's not something that you're really, really passionate about and you see yourself doing in the long run. Um, mm. I personally think that I can't believe that we are made to be working for somebody else or doing something that we don't like for the rest of our life. I just can't believe that most of us live that way because I don't think that human beings are built to be that way. But yeah, that's a bigger conversation, I guess. <laughs> well, it's very true. I mean, you don't have to look, you don't have to look too far in industry to realize that there's some serious disconnect between what the students are being told in school and the reality of the job market. Now, I think, I mean, let's face it, the job market is fine. It's a great place to start, uh, but in my opinion, again, not, so, not such a great place to finish because the turnover rate, number one, I've already mentioned that, but it's no accident, and I don't have the solution. Um, I'm not big enough to uh, create one either. Um, but there's no it's no accident that I think it's in excess of 80% of students who get a degree never use the degree into which they have been trained. Now think of that in terms of lost um, lost resources, uh, you know, uh, wasted money perhaps. Um, never a waste of money on education, that's for sure. But just the wrong kind. I mean, those people should have had a better grip somehow, some way, either through uh, some sophisticated testing that would have shown them really what they, uh, where they could shine in terms of their natural abilities. I, I, I keep coming back to that because I believe that's at the core of a person's happiness. If you are doing what you like to do, um, even if it's a monk sitting on top of the hill praying, if that's really what makes you happy, well, then that's where you should be. Um, uh, correspondingly, if you if you love your work, love the job you do, and some people do, and that's fine. Well, then stay with it. You know, uh, get, go to the end of the day, and when you get a dead turkey and a watch, and you'll be happy if that's what makes you happy. But uh, the sad part for me is that a lot of people don't really know what makes them happy. They they struggle with uh, who they are, and that's of course all about self image and personal development, and that definitely is another conversation for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well what would you say are like are, are the the qualities or the core values of a an entrepreneurial personality type well i would say creativity is 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 the component to entrepreneurship it, it's always looking at uh, improving something a different way different color different size shape functionality um, methodology, wh whatever it is, either creating it or modifying something that exists. I think that's, but the, that all comes down to a creative input to be able to change the norm wherever that is on the scale. So if you're looking at improving a product, you know, how can it function better and so on? That's entrepreneurship. And of course, a lot of the big corporations, uh, they are dealing with that in terms of you know, product enhancements, new packaging, and that kind of stuff, and that—that's all fine. That does—that does meet some of the creative um, components that that a real entrepreneur needs. And somewhere in the middle, there's a lot of people that are, you know, they want to be an entrepreneur, but they—they they just either don't know how or don't know what to do, and they're too hung up on their paycheck and scared to do something. So, but that's okay. Uh, that's life. That's the way. That's <clears throat> that's the way the cookie crumbles, as we say. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, uh, from your experience in starting different businesses, whether that's brick and mortar or online, um, what would you say are the things that, when you look at an opportunity, the things that way when you look at them you go oh that's a, that's a great opportunity or that's a great idea as opposed to another one that you say okay that's probably not going to work well ideas are literally a dime a dozen and um, <clears throat> i've had a few of those myself i've also i did some consulting work uh one time i'll share a, sort of a fun story with you that will that will help you answer give you an answer to the question um I had a lady call me one time. She said, could I meet you? She said, I, I really need to get together with you because 
I have a new invention. I've invented a new fly swatter. And uh, so we met, we had a cup of coffee and I, I, I sat down with her and I said, so how much money have you spent on this? She said, $10,000. I said, what have you got for your $10,000? And she said, oh, I've got 2,000 samples. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, that's lovely. Uh, tell me about your, tell me about your, your product. She said, well, my fly swatter is different. She said, it's, um, it's got a thousand pins in it. And when you fly swat the fly, it gets impaled. It doesn't get squished. And she said, that's a nice feature. I said, oh, well, how many have you sold? She said, none. And I said, why do you think that is? She said, I'm not sure. Well, I gave her an answer, which I'll give the same answer to the, to the fellow who invented the automatic diaper alarm with an alarm embedded in diapers, alarming the mother that the baby had a wet diaper. But that didn't work either. That didn't work either. You know why? Um, there's a built-in alarm. It's called a baby crying. Okay. <laughs> and on the fly swatter, people, it's a negative situation in the beginning. So if you swat a fly, you squish it regardless of what you do. So, you, And in her case, I, I went to the... Uh, extent of having her explain how she would have to remove all of this from the thousand pins and that would be more name. Well, she didn't sell any, of course, but uh, listen, she tried and until you try now in her case, uh, as in any case with a new product, as an example, you absolutely must do some basic primary research to, to determine if or not, you know, the product has some viability and, Therein lies, you know, sometimes the key to the door and sometimes not. You never know until you try, but at least do some basic research on whatever it is that you've invented or you're thinking of doing. And there's many ways to test and try things, especially today with technology. So, but um, that was a long answer, wasn't it? Well, so I guess uh, what you're saying is like basically look at what the market wants. And uh, right. in a lot of the cases, I see people jumping into the solution mode because they think, oh, I've got a solution for a problem that they haven't even, one, asked the, the market whether that is actually a problem and two, whether that is the right solution or are there any other solutions. So I guess mm -hmm. that's where probably a lot of people fail, I guess. <coughs> well, true. They um they will not take the time to do their analysis you know, and have apply some real objectivity to what it is they're either inventing or developing or whatever it is. And uh, many times that is because they simply don't know how um, or they don't know where to go. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a problem. And of course uh, it's that the study function or the research portion is being done in school that is available to kids who want to study it. And, um, now, to me, as an entrepreneur, that's about the most boring part of the whole project. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also most the most cr crucial, I guess. Absolutely, because if you pull the trigger um, and it doesn't work, you've just gone through an exercise. Now, that might be useful down the road. All of, all of the end, the what happened to you might be useful, but um, at the same time, you're you know spending resources that could have probably been spent elsewhere. Well, um, looking back to your experiences um, in business ventures, what kind, of, <clears throat> what kind of hurdles did you personally face early on uh, as an entrepreneur? Uh, Undercapitalized and not knowing where to go to get the resources. Of course, uh, that was because of lack of training on, you know, from uh, personal training. Uh, a lot of that has really changed now. As, as a matter of fact, I was um, talking to a young student the other day. You know, we're we're taught with, with we're taught today that you must have a you know go to school and you have a four year degree. Um, I'm of the firm belief that, like the apprenticeships of olden days, when you mm. had a five or seven year apprenticeship to be a carpenter. Well, you don't, you don't need a five-year apprenticeship uh, to learn how to do a saw cut, okay? 
I mean, that's a basic element of what I've been talking about. You don't need all those years. And apprenticeship <clears throat> is uh, and was uh, basically an archaic way of getting cheap labor for a while. Uh, getting a little philosophical here, but um, the, um, the reality is that that's true. So I'm, mm. uh, that's just a viewpoint of mine. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I absolutely agree with you. And um, it's just so funny in some ways when you think about it, because I think there are a lot of professions like that where, you know, we were encouraged to go for a four-year degree. Whereas actually, if you if you went and spend that time with, you know, best of the best of the industry and study under them, probably you would be better off and you would learn much more during those four years rather than just studying it. Although I, I should mention that, you know, I don't want a doctor or a, or a surgeon to go and just cut up a human to learn about it. Of course, there's certain professions that you should still do the degree and learn. Uh, but I'm talking about certain other other types, I guess. Well, I, I feel that um, the learning curve is probably cut in at least half by technology. Because today, I mean, we used to, <clears throat> back in the day, we would have encyclopedias that would look up. Well, now you can go to Wikipedia you can have answers within seconds, complex answers to questions that used to take hours of research, days sometimes. And so the learning curve uh, has been shortened by technology dramatically, but the old paradigms are still in place because these old the institutions don't go away very quickly and they're, they're somewhat resistant to change because of their, their um, the structure and the way they're financed and so on. So it's... Um, but I, I believe that someone can you know, get educated very quickly through technology today where they couldn't do that you know, 20 years ago. Mm. Well, um, I want to... Maybe I 25 wanna, years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to switch gears to talking about <laughs> the International Entrepreneurs Association and also yeah. the IDM and expert um, the 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 website that you've got can you tell okay. us a little bit about both of them what they do and uh, what people can find in there okay well the international entrepreneurs association um, is an organization i founded a, a short while ago and uh, the mission statement on that is to teach and train entrepreneurs at the grassroots level in each country through a network of highly trained very qualified executive directors in each country. And there's two components to that. Um, one is that there's a revenue share, obviously for the executive director. There's trade, international trade going to be involved. We're currently talking and negotiating on different trade situations globally. And um, then the uh, third part is the charitable giving component. Each executive director in each country um, is going to um, have their own, with our approval, they'll have their own charity that we will be donating to a portion of the revenue coming from all of the activity in that country for that particular charity. So that's, <clears throat> that's the International Entrepreneurs Association, and it is a monster. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that, and uh, facing and have faced lots of obstacles uh, there, uh, mostly from academia, but uh, it's okay. Um, in what way? Point. Well, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, overly priced, in my opinion, overly priced educational programs that the little guy in, you know, in Kenya uh, simply couldn't afford. So this is a, an effort to bring it down to the grassroots level uh, through the local community, through, through people that are willing to invest time uh, in, you know, in, in youngsters who uh, will be given the opportunity to you know, to learn how to be entrepreneurs, basically. And those that are will, and those that are, won't, uh, will not, of course. But uh, the, it'll at least be available to them, the learning system, to learn what to do and, and who, to, who to go to and, and how to work that. So that's a, it's a monster program, but it's a lot of fun, I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> so so let me uh let me understand this more so who is this made for is it people who already have businesses or ideas and they want help in implementing them or people who don't even have an idea to and, and you would be helping either you've already got opportunities or you've got ideas and you'd just be you know getting people on board to implement those ideas how does it work i'd say 75 percent is for people that <clears throat> are just starting out learning or need to learn what to do in, in order to uh, jump into the entrepreneur area. Um, the other 25%, you know, could be entrepreneurs who have either invented a product, um, they want to expose it to the organization or whatever. Um, so I'd say 75, 25 to, to answer your question, um, who would be getting involved in the entrepreneur program? Um, that leads into the other, um, other, program you mentioned which is the uh, website which is um, idea man expert uh, that is brand new because it's an offshoot basically of the entrepreneur program and that is where someone can list their idea because a lot of people come up with an idea um, they they don't know what to do and they don't have the resources to do much with it so they can post that idea even in its embryonic state someone may jump on that and buy it. Now, um, to come back and bite myself in the foot, um, I was unable to test that except for the way that I'm doing it currently. So that is that site is basically a beta test site to test out the concept of people with just an idea uh, to, to put it on the site and post it for sale or for leasing or for a royalty um, or, or outright purchase, or, or even an auction. We have a, an auction going on to that site as well. So that's the idea, man. Now, part of that also is if you have a business you want to sell, you can put it on the site, show the business, list the business, and that will be exposed to, to the people, you know, to, the, to the marketplace. And um, we're currently uh, just at the end of the beta test, and we're going to actually launch with a a global press release here probably within the next week week and a half nice well that sounds very exciting because i i as as we talked about before the research part and proving that an idea is right and proving that it is worth being implemented is a massive part and if if most of the <clears throat> most of the research is done right. I think half the job is done because a lot of the cases, in fact, one of the main reasons why businesses fail is because there is no need for the product or the idea anymore. So mm -hmm. I think I can see that this is, um, this is actually absolutely a, a golden resource for anyone who wants to launch an idea or a product or a business um, to go and check it out. Yeah. Well, they can, <clears throat> they can negotiate, um, as I said, they will be dealing directly with an investor or um, you know, if they want me involved, I'll be happy to jump in on it. But um, it's basically one-on-one -on -one to the inventor or to the um, entrepreneur who's posting it. And uh, we're on the sidelines, uh, you know, helping if we can uh, to see uh, if that will work. And I, I don't know. I've already, um, it's interesting what's happening with that. We'll, we'll see. I, you never know until you try. <laughs> well, um, I want to know what would you say is the best advice you have been given throughout your entrepreneurial journey? I would say the best advice I could give to anyone looking to becoming an entrepreneur, assuming they have one single item that they're looking at, if it's an item, um, I'm not talking about the, the theoretical, you know, dreaming of being an entrepreneur, some, something that's specific. So uh, following that line of thinking, so with something specific, if you have a specific item or an invention or whatever, whatever it is, um, I would say the key part to that is doing some quality research to the best of your ability and then weigh, weigh the results of that survey um, or surveys against, you know, the probability or possibility of marketing it and and how to do that and so on so but don't close the door just because you know your grandma said it was a stupid idea or your sister or your mother or uncle um, just do some very objective uh, research that will help you determine whether or not your 
idea or concept is valid and has validity. Um, and you never know until you start asking questions. And one of the challenges I found in some of the fair research I've done is that um, entrepreneurs like myself tend to be sort of uh, a few steps ahead of people in their thinking. It doesn't mean I'm smarter necessarily, but conceptually, uh, one of the gifts I think that entrepreneurs have, true entrepreneurs, is that they, they're very high in conceptual, conceptual stuff. They, um, they will visualize something you know, in their head and then be able to translate that to a written description, which will lead to either maybe a working model or uh, doing some engineering or whatever it is you have to do uh, to, you know, to validate the authenticity of your idea or concept, whatever it is. And uh, so I, my answer would be specific research that you can quantitatively look at and analyze once you've done enough of it. And <clears throat> I know in the publishing business, as an example, um, you've got to uh, do research. And one of the famous people in the publishing business does his own research through panels of people that he knows personally who actually rate a new book that's coming out in terms of whether they like it, don't like it. And it has to have a 98%, I think it's 98% uh, approval rate with his 100 person uh, review board before that book is published because he knows that at 98% it's going to be a, a good success. And so mm. that's just one, just one example of research. There are many ways of doing it, uh, different types of different ways of being able to do, do that. What would you say is the best advice you have been given? Good question. I'm searching for an answer on that one. Uh, I think the best advice that I can think of at the very moment here, it com comes up actually now fairly quickly, would be um, actually a book. It's called The Power of Focus by Jack Canfield. And the power of focus teaches you what I needed desperately, <laughs> the power of focus. And that is to be able to focus on what you're doing. Um, and I have a, another little uh, saying, uh, <clears throat> which I, I you know, use for, for fun. It's called FAR, F-A-R. It's an acronym for Focus, Action, and Results. If you apply the FAR technique, to every, everything in the entrepreneurial world, there's really no way you can miss. Mm, I love it. Um, what would you say is the worst advice you have been given? Usually by relatives. <laughs> That's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> With all good intentions. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, these are from people you love, right? Or love you. Um, it's hard sometimes, really is, and um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I definitely wouldn't would not include my family in my research for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, if you could, I'd say go back to when you first started as an entrepreneur. What would you change in how you did things? I would learn. The, I would learn the research techniques that would have saved me millions. Mm. Learning how to do quality research, all things being equal, would be a, a real key for me to have improved what I've done. Mm. Well, are there any techniques that you do now uh, that, you know, like a normal person can follow? that you didn't do before? Yeah, well, I mean, it boils down to numbers, whether, you, you know, you're, <clears throat> whether you're asking people to look at an idea as to whether it's the functionality, the design, the uh, visual perception of how it looks, um, whether that's a website or a new product, um, you need to have consumer acceptance. Um, I was involved and helped develop a, a product called... Um, Start Me Up. And Start Me Up was a 
a device which was a massive failure, but it was <laughs> one of those things, okay? We did, we did our research. We were on <clears throat> national television. We had infomercials. We were, on, uh, we were on several of the major shows. We produced half a million copies of this little rascal. And what it was was a device that you'd put in your cigarette lighter in your car um, to give you a jump start if your battery died. Well, that product was ergonomically designed for women. I knew that intuitively it was a woman's product because men have to have starting cables and they have to have testosterone to play the boy role, you know, and grit it out. But women wanted something a little more delicate. So we, we designed it ergonomically to this device to fit into a woman's hand uh, beautifully. And it, and it worked very well. Two things were um, wrong with what, why it failed. Because, uh, number one, <clears throat> the aftermarket market in the automobile industry is pretty aggressive. So it didn't take too long for them to come out with uh, overriding products that could uh, you know, compete and actually eliminate the market, basically. Uh, you know, advanced notification on battery life and so on. There was all kinds of things that were coming on aftermarket and, and in the market. And the other thing was... <clears throat> As a result of making some marketing decisions, uh, we were in the wrong market. It ended up actually through, actually through our own fault, but we were greedy and wanted to get it done quickly. So we, it ended up being in the male distribution market with a, a woman's product. Now, that's an oxymoron because it was actually stupid to have done that. But we were, we were actually forced into it for economic reasons, uh, which I won't go into now. But... Um, so, you, you know, you make your choices, you make the best decisions. And one thing I've come up with is if you, if you make a decision, make a decision and then make the decision right. If you make a decision wrong, then you better figure out a way to correct it. And uh, that way it's therapeutic. You, you know, cut your losses and you move on and hopefully make some more progress. Mm. Absolutely. I, I love you sharing that story because I, I'm sure that you've got many, many more stories, um, <laughs> uh, which I would look forward to in your books, uh, because I think this is how we learn from, we learn from our own failures and we learn from other people's, um, you know, like setbacks as well, because then we probably can learn faster and move, far, move forward better. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I have, think also, you know, um, through all of this, <clears throat> of course, you have your own, you have your own personal life events that are coming along or going, you know, everyone has their life events, whether it's uh, losing a spouse or a family member or some kind of tragedy or, you know, whatever. It, there are life events that will predictably come into a person's life that can throw, um, excuse, the, excuse the pun, but a monkey wrench into things and really mess you up. <clears throat> and you have to... You, you don't have to, but I would strongly suggest that <clears throat> your audience adopt, uh, adapt a, um, an attitude of gratitude uh, towards being very grateful for every day, number one. Number two, uh, have a positive, a positive attitude. <clears throat> uh, it wouldn't be very hard for me to be negative, that's for sure, if, if I was just looking at numbers. But the reality is, if you can stay positive, um, you're going to be a happier person and, um, you, you know, you will, you'll, you attract what you manifest anyway. So you might as well be positive. And if you're looking, if you're looking at the garbage news every day, guess what? <clears throat> you become affected by the news. And so, uh, I watch very little television, especially the news. That's so depressing, but, um, <laughs> I can get most of it from my cell phone in two minutes versus watching the other stuff. So, but I think being positive is really a very important part of it. And I have a huge library. I read a lot. Um, and of course, I love books. And uh, <laughs> so uh, just for fun, I was going <clears> to <throat> share with you. I was born in the year where the ballpoint, ballpoint pen was invented, the first television, the first Xerox, the first oh, wow. ballpoint, uh, the first Tupperware. The first Drunkometer, that was important uh, years ago for me. What's a Drunkometer? <laughs> That's called the breathalyzer test for drunkards. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> um, nylon and Teflon were invented. Um, the first zipper. <laughs> this goes back a ways. I told you how old I am. So it, um, it's kind of fun. But, 
you know, it's like a, like a fast movie for me now looking at life and everything that's going on. And I'm thrilled with every day. Uh, just so grateful for every day we have and, uh, live every moment. I live my, you know, my day by moments instead of by minutes or hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, David, what would you say is the number one thing you have learned about yourself throughout this journey? Personal disciplines. Simple as that. I've learned to be more disciplined than I used to be. And it's like, uh, you know, dust keeps, right? Well, personal disciplines are a whole different game. You've got to work on yourself. And by having personal disciplines, you get more done. You're more complete. And uh, there's always something to be done. But I would say personal disciplines... uh, would be the key key thing that I've learned. And it's still a work in progress, by the way. My wife assures me of that. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on that score, on that score, by the way, and I, we have a <clears throat> we have a website up. It's a <clears throat> it's a ask askdavidhow.com. And on that site there's a free test you can take it for relationships because we've had a good one for 60 years. And um, the test is free. And you can have fun with it. But I've learned two words in my relationship with my wife. Guess what those are? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, dear. <laughs> I, ha- I guess it's something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. <clears throat> um, you ladies, um, you've got to get off about 4,000 words a day to be emotionally content. Um, a man needs about 1,200 12 to 1,500. He goes to work all day, comes home exhausted, then, you know, you, you're missing about 2,500 words. So he's, he's, he's wondering when you're going to shut up. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Well, David, it has been lovely having you on the show. I really appreciate all the time that uh, you spent with us and all the advice you've given us as well. Now, the folks in our, in our audience, how can they connect with you more? And if they have got any questions or anything that they're sure. interested in knowing about you, how can they do that? The best place to go is my personal website, which is davidselly.net, D-A-V-I-D-S-E-L-L-E-Y.net. Questions to ask David, and super excited to learn more about him and about his movement. As always, all his contact details and links to all of his websites are on show notes page on vindiav.com. And I will leave you to it for now and until I meet you next time. Keep at it in your extraordinary journey.